You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, gentlemen, today I want to talk about the personality of Jesus. Now, the personality of Jesus is something I, I don't think I was ever taught about as a kid in school. Um, I went to you know good old Lutheran schools, but I don't think we ever talked about the personality of Jesus, at least not any way that I remember it. Um, and it's not something that often, I think, comes up in sermons and, and that kind of thing, but it is something that's vitally important. Because if my if Jesus is the perfect picture of what it means to be a man, if, if Jesus was the perfect you know, manifestation of Christian manhood, if Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, and therefore is everything that we ought to be as men if we hadn't fallen into sin, then, then Jesus' personality is vitally important, right? If Jesus came to be not only our substitute, but also to be our example, as it says in the epistles, if Jesus came to be our example and we're supposed to follow his example, then we need to know what his personality was like. We need to know what his characteristics look like. We need to know um, what who Jesus was. And um, so the reason this is so important, I think, well, I, there, it's even more important now than uh, it often has been in the past because I think especially now we have a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus was as a man. And and maybe I'm misreading history when I say particularly now, but there is no doubt in my mind that right now in modern America, we have a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus was um, as a man and and what Jesus would have been like as a man. I uh, John Eldridge does a does a talk that's worth watching. Uh, if you if you if you're looking for something to listen to, uh, I I have listened to this one five or six different times. Um, but John Eldridge does a talk on the the I think I think it's called the person the personality of Jesus. But but that's the, the, it is what he's talking about. Whether or not that's the title, um, but it's oh it's called Beautiful Outlaw. Actually, I think he even wrote a book. I haven't read the book, but I've seen him give the presentation. Um, it's called Beautiful Outlaw, and he, he, he talks about this, um, the images of Jesus that we see. Most of the time, he, he's um, you know blue-eyed Jesus, which is would not have been accurate. <laughs> Jesus would not have been a white man. He also, you know, don't start screaming at me. He also wouldn't have been a black man. He also, uh, he, he would have been a Middle Eastern, a, a Palestinian is what he, you know, that, that, that's... Um, that's what he would have looked like. That's exactly what it would have looked like. Um, so when you when you see pictures of people from the Middle East, uh, particularly from the Palestinian area, that's that's what Jesus would have looked like. That's the color of his skin. That's what his hair would have looked like. And he would have looked like a man from that area of the world. Um, but he also like always has this kind of like glow about him, right? Um, a lot of times he has long, flowing, curly hair. He's got this look of peace on his face. Um, and And part of that is that, you know, like artists do their thing to to especially like old school like you know 
historic art. Um, like you, when you're talking about like Michelangelo and some of the great painters and great artists, they're doing everything they can to help people, non-literate people, understand who Jesus is and understand who Jesus was. So when you're looking at a stained glass window and there's a halo on Jesus' head, I'm not criticizing that. It has every right to be there. Jesus is holy. Um, but oftentimes we we forget who do and what Jesus would have been actually like. So Jesus um, would not have been a soft man. He also, there's, there's very little chance that he would have looked like a bodybuilder. There's a lot of pictures of Jesus where he looks like a bodybuilder. He's got big muscles and sometimes even like veins and stuff like that and abs. Um, he certainly would have been out of shape. Like the man walked and walked and walked and walked and he lived on whatever people gave him. So it wasn't like he was living richly and lavishly. He certainly wasn't fat, but, but he also wouldn't have been like shredded either. And he was—he would have been anything but but clean and soft. Um, there's some of these pictures of Jesus. He has about ten pounds of moose in his hair, right? Um, or or it looks like he just got a blowout. Like I, he, he, Jesus oftentimes in these pictures even looks effeminate. And and I think we that that starts to sink into um, our assumptions about Jesus. And when we start to picture Jesus, that what we see. Um, I love the. Um, I love the, the 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 movies about Jesus where he's like a man's man, um, where he has he has hair but it's a little unkempt. He's got a beard but it's not perfectly trimmed. Um, there there are some there are some great examples of that, uh, but there's also a lot of examples of Jesus and he just looks like he looks like a dope. Like he looks like he's otherworldly or just like they're just weird. Like ooh. And Jesus never actually like talks. Every time he talks, there's like this heavenly voice that 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 comes down and 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 he speaks. You know, where get thou behind me, Peter? Like I, it just the depictions of Jesus that so often are saturating the world that we live in, um, and saturate the Christian world are are not even close to what Jesus would have actually been like. That's what I'm trying to get at here. And so today I want to take a look into Scripture, into the story of um, Holy Week, and I want to look at what Jesus was actually like. I want to look at the the circumstances surrounding Jesus' his, his death and, and uh, what he does as he's coming to the end here. So I, I want to look at... Um, we're going to look at Matthew 21 through 26, the chapters, Matthew 21 through 26. And we're, we're just going to walk through Holy Week and take a look at, at who Jesus is and what he is and what he's doing. And, and, and I'll, what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus is anything but an unwitting or like hapless or unwilling. He's, he's, he's certainly is a victim in a sense that he did not deserve to die. But I don't think victim is the right word. I, we, he's not a sheep being led to the slaughter. He knows exactly what's going on, and he knows exactly what he's doing on the way. So um, starting in Matthew 21, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Now there's a whole lot of ministry and story um, ahead of this, but we, we don't have time to cover that in, in a short podcast. So, um, but there's a whole lot of history here of Jesus and the, the high priests and the chief leaders of the people particularly the Pharisees, um, and, and there's a whole lot of history going into this. So when Jesus rides into, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, um, to, make, to make a long story short, he's proclaiming himself a king. 
Now, Solomon rode in on a donkey, and Jesus is riding in on a donkey. He's painting a picture of himself as a king. It also would have been at pretty much the same time of day, the same time of week, that the Roman garrison would have ridden into Jerusalem to secure the temple and make sure there were no uprisings or um, like riots or anything during the Jewish festival, during this Jewish celebration. Because Rome would always have a larger presence of Roman soldiers in Jerusalem during these high festivals uh, of of Israel, and it makes sense, right? They're like you don't want when you have a larger population of people getting together, the the political authority is going to want to protect their their assets in that area, right? So so they send an extra large legion in, and you also have to remember that the Romans declared Caesar as God. So when Pilate rides into the city, he's riding in as God's representative, right? So he's he's the king riding in, and then you have Jesus riding in from the other side of the city at the same time. What what he's really doing is he's setting himself up right there as the king, which is not just him saying, I'm the king of the Jews and I have a throne in heaven. The The, the sermons that we hear on, on Palm Sunday certainly are accurate when we say that Jesus is declaring himself the king of the Jews, but we forget about the political ramifications of it and how at the end of the week, Jesus is going to be crucified for saying he is a king. And this is one of those moments where Jesus is setting himself up as the king of the Jews. Again, something that's intentional, something that he knows is going to have ramifications, something that he knows is putting himself in physical and moral danger. He knows what he's doing when he does this. But this is only the start. As he goes into... um, when Jesus gets into Jerusalem, he rides right up to the temple, just like, just like Pilate would have. And the first thing that Jesus does is he walks into the temple. He makes a cord or a whip out of cords. So again, like premeditated. If this was a murder investigation, it's premeditated, right? So he makes a cord out of whips. And then he goes in and he drives out. He drives everybody and everything out of the temple courts. Now, the court of the Gentiles is the... The court of the Gentiles had been kind of taken back from the Gentiles. So the, the whole point of the court of the Gentiles is that people who are not Jews cannot approach the altar of God. They cannot approach the most holy place or the holy place. They cannot act like Jews. They're not allowed into the temple proper. But they have a court around the outside where they can go and worship. Now this court for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews, had been completely taken over by um, money changers and animal dealers, and so they they know these Gentiles no longer have a place to come and worship in Jerusalem, and that is who Jesus is driving out. He's driving out the money changers, the animals, the merchants. He's driving all of them out. Now imagine for a second, hundreds of thousands of people have to buy animals to sacrifice. So that means there has to be hundreds of thousands of animals in this market, in the temple courts. And then imagine all of the, everything from manure to animal sounds to um, like the money changers, the people taking care of the animals. There is an incredible crowd of people in this, in this space, in the court of the Gentiles. And imagine just the sheer amount of will and power and force and anger Jesus must have had um, in order to drive anyone and everyone out of the temple. Because he completely clears the courts. Nobody stops him. Nobody steps up to him and says, you know, cut it out. Um, no one is willing is able to overwhelm him. He has righteous and holy anger, and he drives these people out of the temple. 
effectively cutting off their ability to make money on this high Jewish festival. And most of that money, like I've heard people describe Anani or Annas and Caiaphas, the, the high priests, I've heard people describe them as a cartel, which is exactly what they would have been. They were funneling money, but they were becoming rich on on all the sacrifices that people are sacrificing during this festival. So Jesus drives them out, keeps them from making money, and clears out the code of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles who are on their pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem have a place where they can worship God. They have a sanctuary. And Jesus, after he clears the temple, he doesn't leave. Like, I, if, 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 if most of the time when people incite a riot, they incite a riot and then they leave, right? They don't want to get caught. They don't want to get busted. They don't want to get in trouble. Jesus stayed and he starts teaching the people in the temple courts. And so when later on when Jesus is being arrested and he says, I was sitting in the temple courts and you did not come and arrest me. He's talking about these kind of incidents, Right where Jesus drove him all out, and instead of arresting him, they allowed him to sit in the temple and teach afterwards. Like they kind of had motive and and means to arrest him at that moment. They could have, and so Jesus sits in the temple courts, and he knows that they're trying to find a reason to kill him. And as he's teaching, they start walking up to him and they start asking him questions. And the first thing they ask him is, by whose authority do you do this preaching? By whose authority are you doing all of these things? Which included in that would be driving people out of the temple courts, right? Driving all the money changers and merchants out of the temple courts. And Jesus says, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? And Jesus knew that they couldn't say either answer. Because if they said it was from heaven, then they had to admit that Jesus um, is the Savior. Because that's what, because John said Jesus was the Lamb of God who was going to come and take away the sins of the world. And they said they knew that if they said John's baptism wasn't from God, then they would be declaring a prophet of the people to be of the devil instead. And they can't do that. It's, it's, it's suicide. It's political and religious suicide. And so they can't answer the question. Jesus sidesteps the trick and he moves on. They keep trying to trick him. Then Jesus tells two parables. Uh, the first is the parable of the two sons where one son says, no, I will not do what you want me to do. And the other son says, but then he goes and does it. And the other son says, yes, I'll do uh, what you want me to do. But then he never goes and does it. And, um, Jesus says, you guys, you chief priests and teachers, you're like the son that said, yes, I will do what you told me to do, but then never does it. And he, he actually says in so many words, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you because John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus says to the chief priests and teachers of the law in their own temple that prostitutes and tax collectors, the scum of the earth, are going to heaven before you because you are choosing not to believe the things that God has said. And then he immediately follows that up with the parable of the tenants. And he paints a picture of the chief priests and leaders of the people as evil tenants of a vineyard who kill and destroy the servants of God until they finally kill the son of God. He predicts his own death and he accuses them of doing exactly what they're about to do. And he says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom this, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. 
when a chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. He's standing there in the temple, accusing them of incredible evil. And he's right, first of all. But he keeps accusing them over and over and over again. And he keeps showing them how they are wrong. He keeps showing them how they are sinful. And he keeps ticking them off over and over and over again. For two reasons. One, he wants them to repent. He genuinely wants them to repent. And we're going to talk about that again in a second. But second, he genuinely wants to show the Jewish people what the truth is. He genuinely wants to show the Jewish people what the truth is. He's pointing out to them examples from Scripture that show that he is the Messiah. And third, he knows that if they choose not to repent, they will eventually kill him. And that is Jesus' goal. Jesus was not only compliant, but he was he played like he actively worked toward getting himself crucified. Like there's no way around that. Jesus keeps inciting them again and again and again and insulting them and attacking their character and attacking their morality over and over and over again. Jesus is doing everything he can to get himself into trouble with the chief priests and teachers of the law. He keeps going. He tells the parable of the wedding banquet. And he says, for many invited, but few are chosen, telling the chief priests and teachers the law that they are not chosen for heaven because they didn't live the way God wanted them to, that they invented a whole bunch of other rules and they didn't live the way God wanted them to. Then they try and trick him again and they say, who should we pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. They try and trick him again. They go to him and they say, you know, if if a woman is married six times, who's her husband at the resurrection? And Jesus says, you're trying to trick me. You're trying to trick me. Why are you trying to fool me? Why don't you listen to what I say? And eventually, eventually Jesus gets to a section of scripture that's just simply called the seven woes, where he says, woe to you. Woe to you, teaches the law and Pharisees, because you are leading the people away from God you're leading the people straight into hell. Here are some of the things that he says. Um, he says to the he says to the people of Israel, "You must obey these these chief priests and Pharisees, and you must do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, because they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. These are fighting words. These are words he knows are going to hurt and to wound. And if they will not cause anyone to repent, they will cause them to hate him." And they will crucify him. And he knows this, that they're going to try and kill him. He also says they love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. But you are not to call them rabbi. You have only one master and you are all his brothers. He goes on to say, woe, of you, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You're hypocrites and you shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. And when you do find a man and convert him, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. You give perfect tithes and you make sure that you know, all, your, all your ceremonial laws are perfectly kept, but you refuse to love your neighbor. You're hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of deadness and decay. He says, woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets but you kill the righteous. Jesus does not hold back any punches. He goes right for the men who he knows hate him already because he's telling the truth. Jesus is not a weak man. Jesus is not quiet and, and docile 
and and weak. He's not unwillingly led to the slaughter. He's not a sheep. He's not weak. He's not nice. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly where he's going. And he continues to speak the truth in spite of oppression, in spite of hatred, in spite of the threat of death. He continues to preach. He continues to teach. He shows every kind of emotion from grief to anger. He is a man. He is a man's man. And he is completely alive. And he understands exactly what his purpose is. We've been talking a lot about purpose lately on this podcast. Well, Jesus knows exactly what his purposes are. Purpose number one, to bring glory to his heavenly father. Purpose number two, to grow the kingdom of God. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. It's exactly what Jesus is doing right up to his death. And it's the thing that causes his death. If Jesus had been quieter, if Jesus had shut up and listened, if the, when they had told him that they were planning to kill, if Jesus, when he found out they were planning to kill him, if Jesus had just shut it down and, and gone out of Jerusalem, he never would have been the sacrifice. He found the weak spot. He pushed on it and pushed on it and pushed on it until he broke the chains of death and hell. He broke the grave and he brought his eternal victory through it. That's the God that we serve, and that's the man that we are to imitate. So we can't get caught up in, in this picture of Jesus as, as a weak man, as a weakling. And, and, and when, we, when we express our masculinity, for lack of a better way to say it, when we're doing man stuff, we need to understand the connection that we have to Jesus. Jesus did hard things to get better at doing hard things, Right? And Jesus did not sit idly by and watch the kingdom of heaven be closed to men and women and children because of bigotry. Jesus did not stand idly by and let people walk to hell. Jesus did not stand idly by and let people misunderstand scripture and let um, the, the leaders of the church do everything from racial discrimination to straight up robbing the people of money um, to cheating them um, in the in the temple tax. They did all kinds of awful, terrible things, and Jesus did not stand idly by. He went and he did something about it. That's the example that Jesus set. We as men cannot stand idly by and watch the wicked things of this world continue. It is our job as men of God to bring order to the chaos. And sometimes in order to bring order to chaos, you have to increase the chaos. I pray that your prayer is to your heavenly. So I pray that 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 uh, we continue to do this and that I, I you should be praying to your heavenly father and asking him where the chaos is in your life and what you can do to order that chaos. And then once you've ordered the chaos in your own life, start ordering the chaos in other people's lives. Start bringing that truth of the gospel to people. And start bringing the truth of the law to people and help them understand exactly who they are and what their situation is. That's our job as men of God. I hope you have a great week. Get after it, gentlemen. Go do something manly today.
Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on a journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.